Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. Do you want to dive deeper into this story? Do you want to get episodes early and listen without ads? Well, you get all of that and more for as little as $5 a month. Go to dakotaspotlight.com and check out Spotlight Plus. This is episode four, Better Left Alone. Previously on Dakota Spotlight. Morton County Sheriff Kyle Kirchmeyers ruled out foul play as a cause of death for 51-year-old Victor Newberry of Glen Ullen. In so many words, in their drunken state, yeah, they would always say, you're a dead man and shit like that. It's kind of expected when you live in a small town, everybody knows pretty much everything. Back when that thing happened, it seemed like it was kind of swept under the rug, you know. Uh, I said, Victor, no, you don't want to do shit like that because he thought the ship was going to go down and he just, he wanted some protection. This isn't like CSI Miami or CSI, you know, New York or whatever. It just doesn't happen like that. And the Victor, if he would have went down that ditch and got stuck, he would have walked that quarter mile. He would not have stayed there. Some people are more important than others, maybe, I don't know. Last time, we got some clues about the source of some of the rumors regarding Victor's death. And thanks to a brief report from the sheriff's office, we learned that there was some kind of disturbance or altercation in Glenullen that night. In the spirit of accountability, which, as I previously mentioned, felt like a type of theme on this journey, I feel like I owe you an explanation to stay accountable to you as I unfold this story. Because you may be wondering or thinking to yourself, Why didn't you just go to the sheriff's department and see what you could find out from them? Why spend your time in Glen Ullen talking to Victor's friends and researching all on your own? That is a fair question, and I have a fair answer for you. The reason I didn't go to the sheriff's office right away was due to my own personal and previous experiences when dealing with requests for information from North Dakota law enforcement. Quite simply put, my previous experiences led me to believe I wouldn't get anywhere that way. Granted, I had never dealt with the Morton County Sheriff's Office before, but I had dealt with the Sheriff's Department in another county in North Dakota, namely Logan County. And I had also attempted many times to get information from the North Dakota Bureau of Criminal Investigation, or BCI. BCI is the state police, and among other things, they investigate several cold cases in this state, one of which I became interested in in September of 2015. I feel confident that if we spend just a couple minutes talking about that, you will understand why I didn't really have any faith in getting information from law enforcement about Victor's death. And who knows, in the event that you're finding yourself in an investigative mood, maybe you can be the one to solve this long-running, mysterious, and sad riddle. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, real stories from the true north. Season one, the story of Victor Newberry, is one man's personal quest to explain another man's perplexing death. What happened exactly to Victor Newberry of Glenallen, North Dakota, found dead next to his vehicle in December of 2014? My name is James Wolner. Music by Julia Kent. 
Visit dakotaspotlight.com for more information, suggest stories for future seasons, submit tips and questions, see photographs, and sign up for the newsletter. Hi again, it's me, James. I just want to tell you about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to the Dakota Spotlight podcast that allows you to listen to these same episodes without ads, and you get access to them before anyone else. Your subscription will also unlock access to exclusive episodes, the Spotlight Plus newsletter, videos, pictures, documents, and more. All at the same time, you will be supporting me and Dakota Spotlight. Please check out Spotlight Plus by going to dakotaspotlight.com. Thank you for your support. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when Muda, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris, and this is my story. Conning the con. Twenty-five years ago, in August of 1993, two people vanished from the face of the earth in a small town named Wishick in southeastern North Dakota. They are considered to be victims of homicide, according to BCI. I became interested in this case, and before I knew it, I had created a website about it, and with the help of the family of one of the missing, we started a new reward. Robert Michael Anderson and Kristen Deedy disappeared one weekend when they were visiting Wishick, North Dakota, from Bloomington, Minnesota. Wishick was Kristen's hometown. Then she stopped by to visit her brother. And that's the last time anyone saw Kristen or Bob. Now, initially, authorities here in North Dakota and others assume that they just ran off together. But back home in Bloomington, Kristen's friends never bought that. They say there were too many suspicious circumstances surrounding their disappearance and that Kristen loved her children too much to just leave them. Chase Anderson is the son of missing Robert Anderson, and he was about three years old when his father disappeared. Today, since I have become interested in this case, Chase has become a type of friend of mine. A type of friendship, I say, because our friendship is based on an obscure mutual interest. Chase and I are friends because we share a common desire to find out what happened to Chase's father and his girlfriend in August of 1993. Chase Anderson is still looking for his father to this day. He believes his father's case is absolutely solvable, and Chase understands better than anyone why my initial instinct was that law enforcement would never help me find out the details of what happened to Victor Newberry. So uh, how's fatherhood treating you? Absolutely amazing. 
I was just telling her tonight that as I do most nights when I put her to sleep, how blessed I am to be able to be trusted to be a father and and have that ability because I didn't have that when I was a kid. And at her age is when I lost my dad. I was last seen in Wishick, North Dakota, and uh, him and his girlfriend have not been seen or heard of since. Um, been an active investigation. It's been titled an active investigation for all the years, um, which makes it very frustrating for anything to go on with because it's it's a very hush-hush, nobody can talk. And they've told me that an update, you know, something's going to be going on soon. And I was like, okay, can you call me and, and let me know how that goes? And yep, we'll, we'll keep in touch. And I've never heard anything from them without having to reach out to them multiple times and multiple voicemails and multiple different people. And it just gets very frustrating. But Chase had not always felt like this. In the beginning, he felt like his father's case was in really good hands. It was a lot different with the original investigator on the case. The original Mike Quinn and Calvin Dupree came to visit me, and, and the initial contact with them was made when I was 17 in 2007. Um, very willing to talk and showed me the details, the case files, and it was the most real police work I've dealt with in the entire case. Mike Quinn retired. Um, Mike Quinn has taken this case very, very personally. Um, he would come in after he retired to work on it, is what I'm told. I, I would love more than anything to get that sit down with him. But over time, Chase felt that things changed. His father's case remained open, but the communication between BCI and himself seemed to close up shop. New people in charge, they have, yeah, you got to get your, your bearings, and I get that. But uh, I have had a very hard time getting anything out of any of them that have been new on the case. On September 30th, 2015, Chase and his aunts and uncles drove from the Minneapolis, Minnesota area to the little town of Napoleon, North Dakota to visit with law enforcement. I'm, I'm there with, with my aunts and uncles, uh, my dad's brothers and sisters, asking questions. Well, it's law enforcement are trained to give you a loop around and very much obvious when they are. And even when we were told we couldn't be told it information specifically, we couldn't see the files or anything like that, we could ask questions. So if we don't have the knowledge to ask the question, we'd have no idea it's there. And that was to protect the case. And even when we did have the knowledge on things in the case, you can tell when they did not want to have anything to do with telling us. It was, well, we can't say yes and we can't say no, or it was another runaround. It's like, what's the point of this conversation if there's no answers? I drove many hours out there and left with more confusion than I think we went into on it for the most part. In case you might be thinking, well, law enforcement have their hands tied. They can't tell them anything. Those records are confidential. That's not really correct. In North Dakota, there are three types of document classifications. Confidential, exempt, some call that discretionary, and open. A confidential document means that a person can't get it, and it's illegal for the custodian of that record to give it to you. There is no legal wiggle room. For example, a list of social security numbers would be confidential. A clerk or custodian of such a record could never legally provide that to you. Discretionary means the custodian of the record can decide either way. He or she does not have to give you the document or record, but it's not illegal to do so either. 
and of course open means that by law, in theory anyway, the document could be requested by anyone and at any time. In North Dakota, police records about open investigations, like the case about Chase Anderson's father, are exempt from the open records law, but they are not confidential. In other words, by law, the sheriff, or BCI, could share these things with Chase Anderson. Their hands are not tied. Of course, Chase Anderson believes, and I agree with him, that after 25 years of working on a case, maybe it's time for them to look at it in a new way and maybe even get some help. And last year, some potentially great help did come knocking on our doors. We were approached by a major production company that makes investigative documentaries for television. They intended to produce a full-season documentary series about this case. In fact, they traveled to North Dakota and Minnesota and spent a full week with Chase producing a short trailer or pilot, and then they pitched that pilot to the major networks. There was a lot of interest from many, many different networks. Um, Oxygen, Netflix, um, Discovery, uh, Public Broadcast out of Canada. There's a couple other ones um, with very, very strong interest. And when they got down to the details and, and met with them one-on-one, it all came down to the same thing. If you can get a law enforcement involved, willing to cooperate, we will get this funded for it to get on the air and, and broadcasted. An agent at BCI told me on the phone that they wanted nothing to do with a documentary about missing persons Christian Joy Didi and Robert Michael Anderson. As Chase once pointed out to me, you see law enforcement cooperating or taking part in documentaries about open cases all the time. And it was very disheartening for him, after all his hard work, to have law enforcement pass on this opportunity and ultimately kill this project. I haven't given up hope, but it's been two years now and it's, it's not, uh, not gone much farther since that. You may now understand why I did not believe that law enforcement would help me find answers. But when the Morton County Sheriff's Office gave me that one-page report about the altercation, it was a type of wake-up call for me. I had made a mistake in my way of thinking. Because there's a huge difference between requesting information about an open investigation and requesting information about a closed case. I had simply not stopped to think about it that way. North Dakota law states that records regarding closed cases are to be considered open records. Victor Newberry's case was considered closed, and therefore I thought, in theory anyway, I should be able to request whatever documents and records the Morton County Sheriff's Office had on it. I didn't know what they had or if they would actually give it to me, but I thought I'd give it a try. And so I made my request, and then, as always, instead of just sitting back and waiting on the response, I made my way to Glen Ullen again. This time to visit the office of the local newspaper, the Glen Ullen Times, where I hope to find old issues that might have more information about Victor's death. If you would like to learn more about Chase Anderson's quest and missing persons Kristen Joy Didi and Robert Michael Anderson, check out the photos and documents page at dakotaspotlight.com. Stop by to visit her brother. And that's the last time anyone saw Kristen or Bob. There's a short video there, too, from news coverage about this case from 1995. I think she was very close to her children. She was worried about their well-being. For a woman who felt so strongly about those kinds of things. DakotaSpotlight.com
Nancy Bittner runs the local newspaper in Glen Ellen. I met with her one evening in her office, located in a square brick building on B Street, just around the corner from where Victor was last seen alive while tending bar. I asked her if she would give me a tour of her newspaper. What do you, what do you want? <laughs> this is it, my computer, my printers, my books, my newspapers. And that's the old, old issues over there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I go back to 56, I think. Okay. So how long have you been doing this? Since 1993. Do you know what your subscription, uh, how many subscribers you have? I have about a, a 700. It's getting less and less each year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Everybody does everything on the computer. They don't. The grandma, you know, the mother bought subscriptions for all their kids. And as they die, those kids don't renew them subscriptions, those subscriptions. So what, what does it take to be a good... Uh to run a small town newspaper, what do you what be good at? Just got to go to a lot of things. <laughs> got to go to a lot of the events and um, have some people that help you and send pictures and send some info because you can't be all over, you know. And you can't go to every event because you'd go crazy, right? Right, and you can hardly hire people to help no, you. Like no. you can't hire photographers and stuff. No, I mean, I used to have two people working here. I'm down to one girl one day, one morning a week. I mean, obviously it's a small town. Do you know how many people live here? 780, I think it is, last, yeah. since 2016, I think, was the last count or whatever. And what kind of people are people in Glen Ellen? Just A lot of farming. It's an elderly community. We have the nursing home, which employs a lot of people. Um, pretty much it, you know. Well, that's not entirely fair. There is more to Glen Ellen than a nursing home. There are two gas stations, three bars, a bank, and a small grocery store. You can buy insurance in Glen Ellen, and there's a small hardware store and lumber for purchase. A railroad runs through the town, and like most other small agricultural towns, a grain elevator watches over the place from above. The school, with grades K through 12, sits up on the hill south of town, along with the cemetery and the city's water reservoir. In May of 2017, for a day or two, that water tank was the scene of another mysterious death, another thing for Nancy to write about in her paper. A dead mouse was found floating in the tank, contaminating the town's water. Is it true that in a town this size that more or less everyone knows everyone? Everybody knows everybody? Pretty much, except for maybe the last few years when the oil boom was and a lot of other people moved in. That's kind of thinned out now. I told Nancy what I knew about Victor's death. I shared with her the theories and rumors I'd heard, and on the one hand, she found it mostly amusing, but on the other hand, she said... She sort of left that whole topic alone. <laughs> you only can believe half of what you hear in a little town. It's just a small town. That's just what you do, yeah. I guess, because you know everybody's business, or you think you know everybody's business. A lot of people say police said that he fell out of his truck, and the coroner uh, decided he died of hypothermia. Is that basically what you've heard? Have you heard anything? No, that's pretty much what I heard. Did you write about it in the paper at all? No, I don't. You know, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, I shouldn't say that. I don't think I did, because I kind of left it alone. Sometimes there's things in a little town you just kind of leave alone. I would kind of like to look at, like, the issue that came out the week he died and the next week. We can look right now. Okay, let's do that. Let me turn the light on. 2010? What year? 2014? Yes. Well, you must know what month he died then. I don't. December. 
Oh, in December. Oh, you know what? I don't think nothing went in until later. Nancy showed me her stacks and stacks of bound Glenola newspapers, and she quickly found those volumes from late 2014 and early 2015. Well, because somebody said there were some girls in town that night. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know who, I have no idea who they were because I don't know. I guess. Here we are. Investigation Here continues. The body of 51-year-old Victor Newberry was found the early morning of Saturday, December 27th, and an autopsy was performed, and it did not reveal anything. There was no trauma to the body. The cause of death is uncertain at this point. Victor Newberry. If you would like to send a card or donation in memory of Victor Newberry to his family, you can do it so by sending it to Nikki Newberry. There's an address there in Georgia. As I browsed through those issues of Nancy's newspaper, I became more and more aware of the fact that Victor's story is just one story from one single town in North Dakota. I wondered how many other curious stories are out there still to be told and uncovered. And I got to thinking, if a person should only believe half of what they hear in a small town, as Nancy had joked, what did that mean for my story? Was I just being duped and by everyone? I had a feeling, a strong gut feeling, that there really was more to the story than what I'd first read in the Bismarck Tribune. I didn't know what that meant, really. Maybe Victor was not murdered and he simply died of hypothermia. But still, even then, what was he doing out there at that spot north of Glen Ullen when he was supposed to be working at the bar? I felt that, like a wave crashing into shore, the story was about to break for me and I was getting closer to some answers. But staring at Nancy's stack of old volumes dating back to the 1950s, I also felt that I needed a different type of break. Not a break in the story, but just a break for me, a rest, a short hiatus from all my thoughts about Victor's last hours on Earth. So, as I left Nancy's office, I decided I should go see some friends of mine and find out what other mysterious and strange stories stem from this area. I'd let someone else tell a story for a change. I knew a couple guys who I thought could help me. They'd been around a while, and they'd traveled extensively across this state. You might say they were, and maybe still are, minor celebrities in North Dakota, and they live right here in Morton County. I knew them simply as Francis Tibor and Harvey Tibor, but other people, longtime North Dakotans, they knew them as two of 14 Tibor siblings and members of the Tibor family band, the Tibor brothers, or perhaps they remembered them as the Mavericks, who, back in the 1950s, performed their music on local television every Sunday night. And just as I thought, they did have some stories to tell, one of which was like nothing I'd ever heard before. At least, I don't know about you, but I do know for a fact that when I went to elementary school and it was time for show and tell, no kid ever stood up in front of the class with a mysterious human skull they'd found. Able to get it. Well, here's your chance. Send one dollar and ten cents, that's a dollar and a dime, to Maverick Records, and you can get a personally autographed copy of the latest recording by the Mavericks. Send a dollar and ten cents in care of Maverick Records. Albert, Bernie, Charlie, Dorothy, Ernest, Francis, that's me, Gerard, Harvey, Irene, Jerome, Kurt, Larry, Marie, Noreen. Three boys, a girl, three boys, a girl, four boys, two girls. I knew I'd be a cowboy when I was only four. 
At eight I thought a soldier could do a whole lot more. Well, for many years, our uncle Paul had a human skull that he kept in his granny. Did he tell you about that? That is Harvey Tibor, Francis' brother. Back in the 50s. And that, of course, is Francis again. My uncles who were avid bow hunters and rifle hunters uh, stumbled across this human skull. So they brought it back home. and Nobody ever knew where it came from. For years, I know it was around the farmstead. As a matter of fact, uh, I was in grade school at the time, and uh, they gave it to me so I could take it to school, show and tell in school, and I know it was kept around there in the granary for a number of years. Eventually, he turned it over to the state historical societies. They said it was from a, either a young boy or a young lady. And that was it. I mean, Dad remembered a story from back then. That there was a farm family there that... The, the old man was a kind of a tyrant. Some farmer who lived down in that general area who was a mean SOB. Uh, I mean, he whipped the hell out of his boys, and and his oldest boy uh, suddenly wasn't there anymore. And They assumed he ran away from home. He always said, well, the boy ran off. Nobody ever seen the boy. He never ended up in any town. And that was the end of the story. Okay, that's all I was ever found out about it. And then there was a story about some guy killed outside of Glen Ullen a few years ago. I know it was on the road between Glen Ullen and Elmont. Somebody found his kid was dead out there, but I never found out who the name of the kid was. Was he shot or what? I, you know, so many of these things are are kept so quiet and hush-hush that you know, uh, if you do hear something, then you better take it with a grain of salt because... There's probably three or four other stories around. I told Francis and Harvey about Victor and the rumors I'd been told, like the Boston mob and mafia stuff. (laughs) Then you never know what direction that story is going to run, you know, because if somebody gives it a really good basis, mafia, and I don't don't know many Italians around. I knew one Italian. He had the Bluebird Cafe here in Hebron. Uh, That's the only one I knew. Italians would not hang around with this many Norwegians and Germans, I don't think so. (laughs) Depending on who you are and where you live, you may know that North Dakota was settled primarily by Norwegians and Germans. That is, of course, if you disregard the Native Americans who were here first. Francis wasn't exaggerating when he said that he only knew one Italian. Surnames here are German and Scandinavian. Names like Funk, Olsen, Erstad, Krein, Baumgartner, Erlinson, Welk, Wald, and Wetzel. In fact, in the town of Hebron, 15 miles from Glenolin, you could buy a newspaper in the German language during World War I, and maybe World War II. And you could go to church service in the German language up until sometime around the Second World War. That must have been awkward. But when World War II, especially after we declared war in Germany, uh, a lot of those people forgot how to talk German, and they were learning English really fast because nobody would do business with them. If you check with the state or federal, Hebron, this area was kind of a 
a watch box. They kept an eye on it because of the German population here. And then there was a story about Glen Olin's own serial killer, Randy Roth, who was the subject of two books, including one by renowned true crime author Anne Rule. He was married four times. He killed two of his wives. Uh, his parents were from here, from Glen Olin. But really, Roth only lived in Glen Olin for the first year or two of his life before his parents, Gordon and Elizabeth Roth, moved from North Dakota to Washington State. In fact, Randy Roth's brother is also a convicted murderer. His, his mother was from Glen Olin. His dad was from south of Glen Olin. And then apparently there was some guy named Joel Messer who Francis knew as a kid in Glen Olin. We grew up together in Glen Olin at the time. Joel moved away, but then he came back. Joel came back, and um, he was believed to be a drug dealer. Suddenly he was found out toward the Hartbute Dam sitting on a road, and they said he shot himself. Well, not too many realistic hunters believe that because if you shoot yourself with a three fifty seven Magnum, I don't know how long an arm you'd have to be to keep away the powder burns. And there was no powder burns on him. And you know what? I didn't ask Francis how he knew for certain that there were no powder burns. To tell you the truth, in that moment, I didn't care if that story was part of the 50% that might be true or the 50% that might be legend. I didn't care how accurate that story was. Like I said, I was enjoying a beer and taking a break from the story I really did care about. Taking a break from fact-checking and asking so many questions and the constant sifting through rubble to find some facts. I really didn't know how this would all turn out. I only knew that before this was all over with, the people of Glen Olin would know the truth about what happened to Victor Newberry. At dakotaspotlight.com slash support, you can get yourself a CD of the Tibor Brothers music while there's still some copies around. I will personally walk to Harvey Tibor's house, pick up your copy, and send it to you in the mail. dakotaspotlight.com slash support. Next time on Dakota Spotlight. Victor is a good dude, real good dude, you know. He was a good friend. We miss him a lot, every day. Because he was tending bar and I was drinking. Like, maybe we weren't sober by any means. How he'd even know about going out there is beyond me. Well, I knew Henry and him didn't like each other. I just, I didn't know how far anybody would go, but. Get out of my face, get out of my face right now. And she was wearing like a, um, some tights on, they were all ripped up and everything, you know. So you saw him. I just seen his arm up in there and uh, I knew he was dead, you know.
You have been listening to Dakota Spotlight Season 1, the story of Victor Newberry. Music provided graciously by Julia Kent. Visit juliakent.com to learn more about Julia and her amazing work. Dakota Spotlight is produced by Everything Midwestern LLC of North Dakota. My name is James Wollner. Visit dakotaspotlight.com for more information. If you find yourself enjoying this podcast and would like to help support it and maybe make possible a season two, visit dakotaspotlight.com slash support to find out the many ways you can help out. Fellow podcasters, writers, researchers, investigators, and other curious and restless souls interested in a possible collaboration in the future, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.